Hi, everyone, and welcome to the News Agent Podcast. I'm Susie Lysett, Good Lord Senior Content Executive, and this episode is a recording of the first in our three part Renters Reform Bill webinar series. Today's topic is all about the government's proposal for a single system of periodic tenancies, and Greg Suman, Lettings Director at Martin Gerrard, joined Good Lord's Ollie Sherlock to talk over what this change could mean for lettings and the private rented sector going forwards. The webinar itself is CPD accredited, so I'll include the link in the show notes if you'd prefer to watch the recording on demand to build up your CPD credits. So without any further ado, on with today's podcast. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this morning's Good Lord webinar. This is the first in the Renters Reform Bill series. Um, and over the coming weeks, I'm going to be joined by some industry experts leading the way on informing us around the Renters Reform Bill, what potentially is going to happen. And of course, there's still quite a bit of potential in there. And give us, giving um, us their thoughts on the effect of such changes that are included within the Reform Bill. Um, it seems like every week there are further developments. Um, and indeed, this week there is some developments to talk about too. So um, to, to help us through talking about, in particular, the single system periodic, te- periodic tenancies, I'm joined today by Greg Toosman, um, who will be introduced shortly. Um, for those of you, before we get into the detail around the Renters Reform Bill, that um, aren't aware of what Good Law does, um, Good Law is a pre-tenancy platform. Um, we help expedite the entire pre-tenancy process, uh, making you more efficient as a letting agent, hopefully allowing you to give a better service, while also giving you really meaningful ways to drive revenue uh, and give peace of mind and protection to your customers and indeed yourselves as a business. Um, today is not about Good Lord, as most of our webinars, are, webinars aren't actually. Uh, but if you did want to know more about Good Lord, then you can indeed find out more through our website at goodlord.co. And if you haven't seen the platform, I'd implore you to, to have a demonstration. Uh, there's no obligation there. Uh, and indeed, it may well uh, very much help your business through some of these more challenging times, arguably. Um, and talking of challenging times, um, that's exactly why we've got uh, Mr. Greg Toosman on the line today. Um, Greg, are you there? Hello. Hi, Ali. Good Thanks morning. Thanks so much for having me. No, no, absolute pre- uh, pleasure. Um, for those um, who don't know who you are, Greg, I, I can't believe there's many. You're, you're quite active in the industry uh, and a well-known face, but there may well be people joining today that aren't aware um, which hats you wear as well, because, of course, you have a, a very, very meaningful role within Martin Gerrard, and you have a, a meaningful role and have done for some time, actually, within Property Mark. Um, do you want to sort of talk through what you do and how you go about your day uh, in the industry at the moment? Sure, I'll try to keep it light. Um, I've been with Martin Gerrard looking after um, all things lettings uh, just over 20 years now. Uh, for a significant part of that journey, I've been involved with Property Mark in uh, different capacities. I've been a regional executive and I've been um, a board member on the advisory panel. And most recently, I've been elected um, president elect uh, for the ARLA Property Mark uh, division. So. Um, Very exciting times. Um, It means that there is um, more uh, media opportunities uh, which allow me to be the voice of members um, and the industry as a whole. Um, I think it's important to take that role um, in in, in the right way, being responsible. It comes with many responsibilities I've mentioned many times before. Um, And I think webinars like this give us a perfect opportunity um, to highlight some of the topics that uh, many members are thinking of. Um, today's focus is going to be around the single system of periodic tenancies. Um, and indeed, we're going to look at the government's proposals in full, look at the proposals that relate to the periodic tenancy change, look to see how the implementation of that system is going to work, um, and indeed how you as letting agents and landlords can prepare for the new changes. Um, so let's get into it. Let's have a look at the proposals in full um, in terms of what the, the Rents Reform Bill is actually proposing. For anybody that has, has forgotten, maybe, I'm sure you haven't. Um, top of the list, uh, as we're going to cover today, a single system of periodic tenancies. Um, there's also going to be removal of Section 21, something that has had a lot of airtime um, that we'll be covering in, in, in subsequent sessions on this series. Um, there are going to be new rules around pets uh, and the mandation of insurance, indeed, when it comes to pets. Um, the government are also proposing a launch of a tech-powered property portal for landlords. Um, we're still waiting on quite a bit of detail around that one. Uh, a little light in the reformable, frankly, um, as to how that's actually going to work in practice. Um, we're going to see a change in terms of um, how we, we manage escalations and problems in the sector as well, looking to unify uh, one single um, point of, of control within the PRS. Along with that, there's a decent home standard that we covered with Sean Hooker, actually, um, a month or two ago. Um, and there's going to be tighter controls around 
rent increases, something that we will actually cover as part of today's session. But in particular, Greg, um, today you're here to talk through the, the changes when it, in relation to periodic tenancies. Um, in terms of the, uh, the changes, the, the first proposal in the white paper, Greg, was that new tenancies are going to move on to periodic basis when this, when this legislation comes into force. Can you talk us through exactly what that means for, for the people tuning in? Yeah, absolutely. So um, th there are many proposed changes. I, th I think it's very important to stress at this stage um, that uh, they are still very much proposals. So uh, currently, uh, most tenancies start with a initial fixed term, um, anything between six months and uh, three years, uh, and then it automatically rolls over un unless uh, both land and tenant agree to extend it for another fixed term. Um, so um, Periodic tenancies initially starts with a fixed term rolls over into periodic where tenants can give a periods notice, uh, which is normally one month as most rents are paid monthly. Uh, the landlord, on the other hand, if they want to terminate the tenancy, has to give uh, at least two months notice uh, in line with the Section 21. Uh, now, of course, this is this is the contentious point, because if Section 21s are removed, how do you end a tenancy? So um, I suppose. If all tenancies initially start with a periodic tenancies right away, how does that help tenants? Uh, because it would imply that landlords would be able to give notice straight away. So there is a caveat uh, and it is implied that all tenants will have security of tenant for the initial six months. This is very similar to how Section 21 is operated at the moment. Mm. Um, so we're almost mirroring the existing system. And I think before people start panicking, as I've had a couple of landlords call me uh, with many questions, um, I think we need to um, draw some parallels with the existing uh, process and what will actually change. Um, and there are very, very few things that will significantly change, but those few things need to be addressed and planned for. So, and, and in terms, and it, sorry, again, in terms of, of the tenant's desire here, because ultimately the rent reform bill has come down the tracks to try and give a fairer, uh, a fairer, a fairer PRS basically for, for for all involved. And I don't think either of us or anybody within this call actually would would um, would want anything but that. Do you believe this is fairer for tenants? Do you think actually tenants will will take advantage of the fact that this is essentially more flexible and they're not being tied in? Because for me, actually, security is as important as flexibility. And given where the market is at the moment in terms of stock. Um, for example, um, you know, the inability to actually have complete certainty as a tenant uh, in that way. Does that does this change that at all in, in your mind? Well, I think we need to go back to the terminology and uh, the whole campaign was run with uh, this, this sort of term of no fault evictions. And I, I think most agents and landlords would take umbrage to that. Uh, if a tenant is a good tenant, why would any landlord ever want to get rid of them? Mm. Um, so. Uh, it, it comes with unintended consequences, as many things do. Um, so right now, a tenant can um, agree with the landlord that uh, Section 21 cannot be used um, for as, as long as the fixed term contract lasts, if you take the break laws out. So a tenant can secure the tenancy and even fix their rent uh, by mutual consent um, for, for, for quite easily three years. Uh, with this system of periodic tenancies, it will become much harder because from mm. what I understand right now in the plans, the, the tenant, even if the landlord wanted to offer a fixed term tenancy and the tenant wanted to fix their uh, rent and secure their home for a longer period, they wouldn't be able to do so. Um, and and I, that, that comes with many problems for tenants, especially with the cost of living crisis, with uh, um, the uh, mortgage rates, rising with the current taxation system, which um, uh, may force landlords to increase rent by more than their actual mortgage costs just to stand still. And as we know, uh, the Finance Act, uh, which doesn't allow landlords to deduct all of their interest payments from the rent uh, before they pay tax, um, is, is very unfair to tenants. And um, I mean, I've done some calculations, but simple maths indicates that for a higher rate taxpayer, if their mortgage cost um, interest payments go up by £100 a month, they must increase the rent by 133 just to stand still. Mm. Um, and uh, again, we've done some simple calculations yesterday. Um, 
an average buy-to-let mortgage on a 75% loan-to-value um, ha- has potentially already increased if somebody had to remortgage by as much as 40% a month. Now, oh. that would imply that re- rents will have to increase by in excess of 50%. Now, that's quite significant. Mm. Um, and if landlords cannot uh, make a profit and are starting to make a loss uh, with, with the current regime, the government are essentially forcing landlords out of the market, which is uh, going to be an absolute disaster for tenants. Um, so the consultation that is taking place um, and the impact statement that the government are looking at before the bill comes forward um, is very, very, very important. And as landlords and agents, we have a role to play in this. Uh, it's mm. all good and well complaining about it. Uh, but I think it's very important that we actually take action. Uh, and uh, I, I've, I've spoken to many agents in the industry. They are very proactive in this. Uh, so uh, I urge anyone, if they haven't uh, already uh, completed um, th- that, that task, that they do so as soon as possible. And and in, in terms of the the change, the moving to product basis, um, and we'll talk about the sort of the, the knock-on effect of doing that further in this session today. That's just the first step, isn't it, in terms of proposals? That that that's if, if we if we said, for example, you know, it, it's a set date that it's going to kick off. All tendencies thereafter need to be, or it should be aligned with that with that legislation. But there is a, a there is a set step two to this, isn't there? Which twelve months following, um, the reform is suggesting that retrospectively all tendencies will be uh, moving to a product basis as well. Um, why do you think they've taken the view to have a 12-month gap? Um, and what problems does that present to, uh, especially a letting agent who is having to use two different thought processes there? You know, I'm dealing with a tenant, it's one set of rules. I'm dealing with another tenant, they're existing as another set of rules. How, how, will that, how do you think that will work in practice for, for letting agents in particular? So having been in the industry for over 20 years, I've seen many pieces of legislation uh, passed through Parliament and getting royal assent. There is a whole journey ahead for this. So the white paper is the first step. It um, outlines the draft proposals and the um, the agreement and principle, as it were. So um, it, it tells us what the government intend to do and why they intend to do it. It's a very lengthy document. Um, Good Lord have released a condensed version of that, um, uh, which I found quite useful. Um, I've read both. There is a journey. So initially, before the bill is passed, there there needs to be an impact statement. The impact statement is assessed by the government as to what the unintended consequences could be. And one of those is landlords leaving. So if landlords leave, um, then uh, I I, I think um, it'll be quite important for for the government to fill that void because there is no social housing. Um, Mm. the, the private rented sector is filling that void. And if that disappears, uh, it, it is going to be a huge, huge problem for everyone. Now, um, initially, um, so and I'll go back to you. So I'm, I'm sort of setting the scene and explaining the background. <laughs> That's right. I, I know I'm, I'm digressing a little bit, but no, go for it. Um, so w- once the impact statement is there, then uh, it turns into a bill. Now, there are rumours that the government are planning to deliver this by uh, May next year. Uh, I, I'm not convinced that that is going to happen. But even if it does, uh, there is still then a very lengthy journey for it to become an act. And even after it becomes an act of parliament, uh, there is uh, a date set for implementation. Now, I've spoken to quite a lot of um, industry experts um, and most anticipate that it's unlikely to become effective uh, until at least spring 2025, possibly mm. October 24. But um, I, I genuinely can't see that happening. I think there's going to be a lot of changes there as well. We, we will see significant rent increases. Um, and I think the government w- will, will have to take note of that. So to go back to your original question, um, the uh, 12 month um, bedding in period, as it were, uh, or, or transition, uh, as it's called, uh, is very important for any act. Uh, In the UK law, most acts uh, do not work retrospectively. And Mm. this 12 month gap um, allows landlords and agents to become more familiar with the new rules, uh, to adapt their processes and 
uh, for to, to avoid the knee-jerk reactions, which I think is very, very important. So uh, my understanding is that um, on the date of implementation, so let's say that this is October 24th, for argument's sake, um, all new tenancies will start as periodic tenancies right from the beginning. Um, the tenant will have right of tenure for six months. After that, if the landlord wants to sell the property or have family members move back in, they'll be able to give um, uh, appropriate notice to the tenant and recover mm. the property. So uh, some landlords are worried that they may not be able to recover uh, possession of their property. I don't believe that will be the case. You just need to explain uh, exactly why you do it. And, and on that point, uh, a couple of uh, questions actually are coming in through, through the chat, so which are pertinent to that point. So um, uh, Deborah um, asks, uh, good morning, Deborah. Um, if by starting with a period tenancy, the tenant still has security of tenancy for the first six months, is this same for the landlord? Does the landlord in that first six months get the same level of, uh, of comfort that they are essentially protected? Uh, my understanding from the reform, Greg, is that that wasn't noted in the in the white paper actually. And uh, theoretically, and I want to tie this into another question from Laura, I think, in a minute. Theoretically, the tenant could move in and therefore give notice pretty much immediately, um, with and as long as they followed the, the the process and indeed they pay the rent through that process without any penalty. Is is am I right in thinking that, or actually, are, 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 do the landlords have some protection in that first six months? Uh, again, these are all the details that are still um, to be confirmed. Uh, my understanding is that the tenant will be able to give two months notice uh, straight away uh, and vacate. In reality, uh, I think it's very unlikely. Uh, tenants have significant moving costs. Um, they uh, no, Nobody likes moving. Mm. Uh, and, and, and we need to remember that. So for a tenant to get up and uh, move, there has to be a problem with the property, a problem with the landlords, uh, a change in their personal circumstances. Um, I, I wouldn't be overly concerned about that because... Um, our research shows that average tenancies are um, between sort of two and three years. Um, and I, I think parallels can be drawn with, the, with your mobile phone contract. Uh, yes, uh, you are tied in for a fixed period, but uh, normally most people extend uh, and uh, planning for exceptions to the rule uh, is probably not the best uh, approach to take in this instance. And, and indeed, and that comes back to a, a question from Laura, actually, um, who uh, who's suggesting that the the potential change she asks, won't this be abused by those who normally use Airbnb and only want short term lets um, and lower rents uh, compared to Airbnb lets? I think your point there is really pertinent. I, I agree. I I think that that whilst in theory that would be a possibility, um, I think we operate in a market where people are trying to find their home um, yeah. and they're, they're they're looking for a home both with their heart and their head now. Um, technically, yes, you could you could look at this to, uh, as a mechanism to provide a short term term rental, but the amount of hurdles you'd have to jump through versus, say, hiring an Airbnb are are seismic uh, as a tenant. Um, so I think I think that concern um, is one I understand, but I don't think I, I can't see that really coming into play. Um, I've now said this on a webinar. And it's recorded. So that means it's definitely going to happen. The first news story coming out of this is going to be that tenant moves in for one month and moves out. Um, we've got I'm, a few cer I'm certain those exceptions will happen, but I, I don't think it'll be that um, pertinent because, uh, well, good will do references. Um, and it Indeed. is a journey. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased to say you're quite thorough with that. And uh, if, uh, uh, if, if a tenant wanted to rent Airbnb, they wouldn't need to jump through all those hoops. So there is a commitment from tenants uh, on that side as well. Um, and, and you have to remember that uh, for an assured shorthold tenancy, this needs to be a tenant's principal home. Mm. Um, so if they already have an address elsewhere and just want a little holiday let, uh, this this wouldn't apply to them. Indeed. Um, there's a few more questions coming in around rent amounts and fees. We're actually going to cover that shortly in the next yeah. slide or two. So I'm going to come back to those uh, for those of you who put those questions in. So, um, just, just, just before we move on, if I may interject, yes. uh, I've covered the first section of the period of tenancy. I think it's important to explain what happens to existing tenancies um, do. Um, after the um, transition period ends. So it, it is my understanding that for existing tenancies from the implementation date, they will all be periodic. Any existing tenancies that may have a uh, fixed term contract that runs past the implementation date. So let's say um, a two year tenancy fixed term, no break laws was uh, sort of com commenced 
uh, in October 23, for argument's sake. Implementation date is October 24. And again, these are all assumptions. I'm not suggesting that those are firm dates. We haven't had that confirmed by the government. Um, and, and the fixed term contract expires um, in October 25. Um, you will still be able to treat this as a fixed term tenancy until the end of that transition period. After the end of the transition period, existing fixed term tenancies will automatically become periodic and will be covered by the new regime. Um, it, it is quite similar to how uh, Section 21 notices were um, uh, changing following the Deregulation Act when uh, Section 21, um, 1B and 4A became uh, Section 21.6. So I, I think there are many parallels that can be drawn and those who've been in the industry for a little while uh, will be able to do that quite easily. And and with that in mind, whilst that offers, uh, I mean, that's a really good insight in terms of the direction of travel. But going back to my initial point around tenants wanting certainty and some security, sometimes the landlords and tenants are aligned in this. Um, there's been a call for evidence, which I really hope everybody listening actually has has submitted into, because ultimately there is an opportunity here to give your opinion and give your thoughts as as industry um, uh, experts, um, of which you know I class all letting agents, frankly, as they're they're professionals in this matter, um, and even landlords who are on the call, um, if they've joined today, to give your thoughts on on, on the rent reform bill. If you go onto the government website, um, I think the link is still live. It was meant to close this week. Um, I've struggled to confirm, but I'm, I think. Uh, I think that's maybe extended. So you may still have time to submit your call for evidence. Um, it's a maximum 3,000 words. Um, but the point being is through through that that process, do you expect actually there to be a, a movement on the ability to offer a fixed term? Because the, the, the initial white paper read as if this was a one-step approach. And, you know, even if a tenant was asking for fixed term, you would essentially be breaking legislation if you were to tighten it into that. Um, and of course, no agent is going to want to condone that behavior and then be on a sticky wicket thereafter so do you expect from your conversations with um different different round tables circles within property market do you expect to see maybe some movement on the fixed term basis at all um and again it's, it's, it's difficult for me to comment on, on on certain meetings but i i very much hope so let's put it that mm. way because i think it'll give tenants better protection and i think it delivers on the um, intended outcome much better if there is an option um, where the tenant requests it, for example, uh, to allow a fixed term tenancy, because um, if nothing else, it just gives tenants um, the, the security of knowing that they that the property won't be sold um, mm. w within a foreseeable future. Um, and if a landlord is committing to that, it is mirroring the existing system, uh, which, in my opinion, works quite well. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm always against trying to fix problems that don't actually exist. Um, so why are you now forcing tenants uh, to a less secure tenure? Um, and I think it goes against the grain of what the government are actually trying to do. So I think I think it is important that uh, whilst tenants um, should have an option to uh, go for periodic tenancies, uh, and I think it's important to bear in mind that there are some gains here for landlords as well. Um, the tenant will have to give more notice to end the fixed, uh, sorry, uh, to end the periodic tenancy uh, than they currently yeah. do. So currently the tenant can give one month's notice and leave, uh, or they can leave at the end of the existing fixed term without giving any notice. Now that that has caused problems for landlords because it is likely to result in a void period, which and causes a loss that is uh, probably the most significant um, cost for landlords. If you lose a month's rent uh, through a void, that's 8% of your annual income that you will never recover. Mm. Um, so by introducing this requirement for tenants to give two months notice, irrespective of how long they've been in the property um, or what the tenancy um, term um, is likely to be, I, th I think it's going to help landlords uh, prepare for reletting of their property. Indeed, and and we, we want to sort of um, come back around actually to some of the other benefits that we see in this in terms of some of the um, opportunities there for, for letting agents and landlords, because I think the, the commentary around the rental reform bill, and understandably so, has been relatively negative. Um, and I think it's, as you've pointed out a couple of times, it's important to know we're not at the stage where this is legislation. Um, what will be interesting is to see 
how meaningful the call of evidence process is um, and what comes from that, because I'd argue if there's absolutely no change, um, I would struggle to believe that we've we've taken that process seriously because I'm, I'm well aware of the the, the the holes, as are many agents and bodies in the industry that that need to be frankly covered up to ensure tenants do have a better process because you know, solving one problem often often creates another. And the knock-on effect of this bill, I think, is um, is, is meaningful across different different spectrums of the of the industry. So, you know, I sincerely hope the call for evidence process is is is, is material for, for for both sides because, you know, ultimately the the industry um, I think can take a balanced view. And I don't accept either that landlords or letting agents do not want a fairer process for tenants. You know, happy tenants uh, make happy landlords. Um, they are essentially the, ha- the home buyers of tomorrow, um, and I think most most good businesses recognise that and, and want tenants to go through a, a really good professional process. Um, so, you know, we will see where where it ends. Um, let's talk about um, sort of the the implementation of these proposals in a bit more detail. Let's let's go to the next slide, please, Sarah. Um, so in terms of implementing this, you, you said earlier um, that you uh, you think this probably won't be until 20, was it May 24, um, you think, or 25 even, um, this could potentially come into place. Um, of course, the legislation we think is going to get rubber stamped before then. Um, timelines after that are, are you know, a, a hot debate. We're, there's no certainty from either side uh, as, as to when that will be. Um but let's hypothetically say um, the the date was the 1st of May 24. Is there any benefit in letting agents and landlords taking a view that because we know that's coming into place, it's happening that date, I'm just going to start to move to that process a lot earlier. What would the upside of that be? But also, what, in your opinion, would the downside of that be? And is it proactive, actually, to jump on these changes as quickly as you possibly can? Um Frankly, no, I don't think you need to do anything just yet in terms of changing contracts. Um, you need to start considering the impact um, on, on businesses. Uh, and by that, I mean businesses from landlords perspective and also agents perspective. Um, existing contracts will run um, as they are uh, through the transition period. Mm. Um, yes, there may be some advantages in asking tenants to give two months notice if there is a break clause as opposed to the existing one month. Um, allowing a little bit more flexibility, possibly. But in, in reality, I think the law does not prohibit fixed term tenancies. The law does not currently prohibit uh, removal of break clauses. Um, I think fixed term contracts for as long as the tenants and landlords agree for um, is still a viable way forward. I, I wouldn't overthink this just yet. Plus, um, I mean, I know you mentioned uh, sort of rubber stamping. Um, the journey from bill to act is uh, not as simple as that. It's not just rubber stamping. There are many uh, steps along that journey. It needs to go through the comments. It needs to go through the laws. It needs to get board of assent. Um, and it is all very, very detailed. Um, I've seen uh, sort of the deregulation act, for example, um, going back and forth quite a lot. So I, I anticipate nothing less here. This is a much more significant change to the housing really? process. Absolutely. I, th- I think that, this that's, is... so, so that's surprising because I think my view on this would be that this has cross-party support. This, this is yes. something that nobody's going to stand there and go, and this is almost part of the problem in some respects, nobody's going to stand there and go, hang on a minute, I do want a fair outcome tenants, but I don't quite agree with the process because from a political perspective, that is suicide. Um, and actually all the intention so far is like, this is this is moving forward. So I'm surprised that that we this may be a, a longer back and forth and, and that's pleasantly because that means that actually we'll get scrutinized in a proper way and it will we should end up with a reform bill that is is balanced um so i'm again i'm surprised with that but i i, I really hope that is the case yeah so i, I mean uh, so, so do i and this, this is my hope i think i need to stress that the uh, the tenant fees act um also had cross-party support and, mm. and you, you can see that that didn't happen overnight either. There, there, there was a consultation that was going back and forth. Um, and I think the outcome, um, yes, it has affected some agents, uh, but we got through it. And I think we'll get through this as well. Uh, and uh, the, the main unintended consequence that we warned about at the time is that rents will go up as a result. Uh, yes, it took a little bit longer, but only due to the pandemic. Uh, mm. which slowed uh, demand in certain areas. And then it came back with a vengeance um, and we're now seeing um, 30, 40 percent rent increases. So what we warned about happened. Uh, we are now, again, warning about certain unintended consequences. And we hope that uh, those decision makers are listening to what we're saying now. 
Um, and, and you've mentioned um, sort of how will the politician oppose uh, any proposals of this bill? Um, uh, you have to ask yourself, how will they react um, at, at the next election, for example? Or how will it impact them if mm. they didn't listen to the advice and it then turns into um, a, a terrible situation for tenants uh, that they try to um, help? Um, we're seeing reports of queues of tenants um, to view a property. Uh, there's yeah. an article, and, and and it's not just UK. That this this um, this this is happening in Ireland as well. Yeah, I um, saw that in uh, Dublin. The, the housing yeah, market absolutely. in Dublin is 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 an absolute fever pitch point. It's it's crazy, yeah. and it gives a glimpse of what could happen here as well. Um, we've gone from five tenants to each property to thirty-five tenants for each available property uh, in less than. Um, well, in, in, in 12 months. Uh, but that, but it, that is symbolic, isn't it, Greg, of, of, of the stress on the PRS for a lot longer time. I mean, I've, I've been saying in these kind of forums for, for quite a few years that, you know, the, the role that letting agents, landlords and, and the sector has played is propping up a housing crisis that has always been there. And if you look at the amount of people who are moving from social housing into the PRS, that arguably puts more stress on the PRS, but also more stress on those tenants because we're not building enough homes, we're not building enough social housing, we haven't got a good enough structure. These are this has been an accumulation of many, many years and many governments' lack of decision making, lack of understanding that has led to that. And that's not a dig; it's just a that's a fact. We you know you right. look at the stresses on, on on the market, and what I I sincerely hope, and I think we are in a better place now that we are seeing some action. So a bit to your point earlier, you know, we can't moan if we don't say anything. Um, we can't moan that, that action is being taken to try and improve the sector and and try and give a better fairness. I suppose the the frustration seems to be, from some of these sessions we've done especially, that it's maybe too one-sided or it doesn't feel like a balanced or the knock-on effects haven't been thought through, which again is frankly exactly where we should be. This is a white paper. We're now going to call for evidence you know, there has to be elements where we say there's a process here that we trust to to show us that a bill in the end is material and meaningful and balanced on both sides. So, um, you know, I don't think it's just been the last couple of years, as, as I think you agreed. Like it, this is a this is decades uh, of of stress and, and and pressure. It is absolutely, and uh, and I think the only solution to the current housing crisis is uh, to create more homes. There is no other solution. I mean, we we can push paper as much as we want, but unless we build a significant number of homes, um, prices will continue rising, uh, rents will continue rising, and no matter how we try to uh, divide the limited stock, uh, there will still not be enough. And uh, implementing these changes, which could potentially drive landlords out of the sector, um, is going to create a real big problem for the government, uh, whichever mm. um, colour party they are. Um, we've got a few questions that are coming. Up I want to cover um, just before we go on to the next point on this slide. Um, uh, Tamsin, good morning. Tamsin asks, will the tenancy still be an AST or a common law tenancy? Um, my understanding, Greg, is that it, it will continue to be ASTs, but amended in terms of the wording that's, that's reflected in them. That's correct. Yeah. So, um, s- s- simple answer. Fantastic. Um, uh, uh, Olivia, good morning, Olivia. So, what happens in the first six months? Uh, if in the first six months, I'm sorry, the tenant defaults on the rent, can you get them out? And what law would you use to do so? Yeah, so uh, still the Housing Act, uh, Section Eight um, will be strengthened. Uh, even now, Section Eight gives you uh, mechanisms to evict tenants who are not paying rent. Um, the strengthening of mandatory grounds, as, as as we all know, there is about half of the grounds. Uh, which are mandatory. The others are discretionary, uh, which is effectively down to the judge. There needs to be a hearing. Uh, they need to take uh, into account all the evidence and then make a ruling as to whether possession should be granted or not. Um, persistent late payment uh, will also come into the equation, hopefully, as one of the mandatory grounds. Um, but um, two months rent arrears allow a landlord to recover possession uh, through the courts. And and I suppose that's the the red herring. I suppose in my mind with Section Twenty One and the 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 amount of blame Section Twenty One gets on making somebody homeless, which is is ultimately the line that has been pushed to yeah. say this is such a you know there's no fault of eviction. Um, it, and we're trying to get some data on this. We're analysing our own our own rent protection book, of which we have you know millions and millions of pounds worth of, of, of rent covered, um, and look at thousands of cases. Um, in reality, Section Twenty One is used as a device. 
where Section 8 could be used because Section 8 isn't actually robust enough in a lot of cases to give confidence to get a resolution and get the property back. So it'll be interesting to see how they take the reform bill wording on from the, um, especially around multiple arrears, because that was, uh, I think, three strikes over three years. Um, and essentially, each time you were in two months worth of arrears, that counts as a strike, if I've understood that correctly, Greg. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's a little bit vague still, uh, but that, that's yeah. the basic understanding. But uh, you made a really valid point about Section 21s. Section 21s, um, and, and I've seen some data um, separately, it, it is a minuscule amount uh, mm. of tenancies that are actually, sorry, where eviction proceedings uh, are completed through enforcing a Section 21 notice. It is very, very rare. And I think it's important to remember that after following the uh, Deregulation Act 2015, um, it became harder and harder uh, to recover possession through a Section 21 process. There were certain hurdles that were thrown in there, um, like uh, the gas safety certificate. Um, landlords needed to prove that it was served on the tenant before the tenancy began. And for a period of time, um, if, if that wasn't available, you wouldn't be able to evict the tenant at all. You, you, mm. you couldn't correct that mistake. Yes, it went through the Court of Appeal and it, um, it got overturned. But Section 21s are certainly not easy. Um, I know it's uh, known as accelerated possession proceedings, but for the last, uh, in excess of the last five years, uh, it's been becoming harder and harder to use. Also, going back to the original point of uh, Section 21s and what would happen if the tenant moves in and stops paying rent straight away, Section 21 would not be applicable. You would not be able to uh, serve Section 21 within the first six months to expire. So um, th that's not um, a concern either. Um, and, and the other thing which I always tell uh, my clients, uh, landlords, uh, you need to know that no matter how well the references are completed, the only way to really protect your investment is by having uh, rent and legal protection. because um, yes, there will be eventualities where you will not be able to um, recover possession as quickly as you want. There will be a period of time where tenants may fall into genuine hard times through no fault of their own. Um, and at that time, the landlord still has obligations to meet their mortgage payments. So mm. if you have rent and legal protection, at least that is a safety cushion, uh, which uh, we include with uh, all our um, managed products. And and to, to ensure we're, we're transparent here and there's no conflict, Greg um, is indeed a good look customer and does use our, our rent protection uh, product. Um, and, you know, it would be remiss for me to not comment back on that. Uh, we're here to talk about the periodic, periodic tenancy basis and the reform bill. But, you know, the backdrop here is a cost of living crisis and reform and change and challenge. And um, from our perspective, our focus on how we continue to improve that level of service over time to face those challenges. So, for example, extending the policy to pay until vacant possession irrelative how long the claim takes. Um, so no monthly capital policy was a big move for us to ensure that landlords and agents have peace of mind. But if you want to know more about that policy and service, um, if you want to look at that side by side against what maybe you're using at the moment, again, I'd employ you to do so. Um, you know, we, we, we're really confident in, in our ability to serve um, in that area and we're keen to help as many agents and landlords as we possibly can. Um, looking at the retrospective piece then, Greg, and I appreciate we've got a few more questions flying in. I will come back to those, um, so bear with us. Um, looking at the retrospective piece, um, we've had 12 months. Uh, we've now got our heads into periodic letting. We've understood a few of the pitfalls, um, but we're, we're, we're getting there. And then 12 months comes along and we have to go, ah, damn it, I've got to do this retrospectively. I'm interested to know what your, um, and I'm asking you to have a, a crystal ball here, so I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to hold you to these answers. I'm interested to know how you think this will actually work in practice, because is this something that we go and we just recognize happens and we, we say, hey, I know your contract says this, but it does, that doesn't count anymore. Do you think we'll have to reissue contracts again? Will there be an addendum to contracts? How logistically do you think this will be put into action? I, I think... Uh... Again, I, I don't think this is a real concern. Um, it, it will just become law and the existing tenancies, no matter what they say, certain clauses would be unenforceable and certain terms would be un unenforceable. Um, a little bit like the unfair um, terms in the contract now. Um, so if, if, for example, you ask a tenant to pay uh, for a professional clean, even if the property is uh, cleaned to a professional standard by the tenant before they leave, um, that's an unenforceable clause. Um, because of the Tenant Fees Act. 
So in a similar way, um, I think when the changes are um, rolled out, um, it would probably be good practice to send out a memorandum or an addendum to the agreement um, or just a notification to um, tenants and landlords to say, look, the, the law has changed. These are the new rules. This is what you should do. Uh, and I think mm. this is the, this is perfect for um, um, responsible professional agents who care about their clients and customers. And, and this is where the value of an estate agent will really come to the forefront, uh, explaining these difficult pieces of legislation um, is part of the role. I think this is what landlords um, look for in a managing agent. And I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating, we've already seen, but I'm anticipating an even bigger switch from let only um, uh, services to uh, rent collection and fully managed because landlords will need more support because it is quite complicated. Indeed. And you note there the kind of the opportunity that that brings. I got... Um... I got quite publicly uh, shot down um, on a, a well-known publication by a, um, a self-proposed uh, property guru and a prop tech guru uh, when I suggested that the time was now to reconnect with landlords and start speaking and communicating more meaningfully. And actually, that was the point where you can then educate. And it was suggested on that forum that um, that was a stupid idea. And why would they? Why would agents ever speak to landlords unless there's a problem? Um, and for me, that represented the very worst perspective of what we're here to do, frankly, because actually I think there is an opportunity here to communicate and educate more. Um, as professionals, that's how I see our role. I see that when coming from being an agent previously myself, I saw my role as somebody to support that landlord. And whilst there's a lot of change here, I think the value in you as letting agents is your understanding of this. I think most landlords won't understand this legislation and they therefore run the risk of breaking the legislation and in inheriting fines or retrospective action that is simply unnecessary if they trust a professional. So it might feel heavy. It might feel a lot to change. It might feel a lot to take on. Hopefully sessions like this and as we get more actual direct you know, um, uh, facts out of this reform bill, we'll be there to support both in our tech, but also in, in, in our commentary and blogs, et cetera. You know, I actually think that's a real opportunity because with change, there's always opportunity. And, you know, as an agent yourself, Greg, do you see this as as indeed that? Am I, am I misaligned with where we're at? Is, is that a stupid thing to say? Because, you know, I feel like there's value in that. I think you're absolutely bang on, um, which is why um, I'm not going to sort of plug it too much, but we've got a new product uh, called MGVIP. Uh, more information will be available on our website, but uh, it, it's exactly that. We, this, this is the reason why we're doing webinars. This is the reason why we are uh, engaging with people through our um, uh, targeted media platforms. We're, we're educating clients because that is what they want. Because mm. what else are we doing? I mean, we, we are here. We are the professionals. They pay to tap into our knowledge and database and the years of experience. Um, and, and I think this is what will set apart those agents who compete purely on fees, and, and we all know who they are, um, and agents who are uh, focused on delivering superior customer service, uh, legislative compliance, um, uh, holding uh, the landlord's hand when things go wrong, because as I always said over the years, all agents are the same until things start going wrong. Um, mm. And and it's, it's as true today as it was ever. And I, look, I, I think agents have a major role to play in this. Um, landlords predominantly, unless they're professional landlords and do this every day, all day, uh, will not have the time to keep themselves abreast of the changes. No. Um, and and it, I mean, the, the fact that the white paper itself, forget the legislation, the white paper, um, if I'm not mistaken, it's in excess of 60 pages. Now, mm. most landlords who invest in property are professionals. I mean, we've got solicitors, dentists, doctors, um, many, many different professions, but um, they're busy people. They employ an agent to manage their property because they don't have the time or, or, the, or the desire to, to, to go through that laborious task of reading um, not the most exciting literature. And, 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 that, and that's kind of the, the, the point I was making on the, on the previous webinar, which created that bit of, um, bit of drama on one of the, the industry publications. And I think the, the problem agents have, I suppose, as, as I see it, is then finding the time and the consistency to deliver that. So I think, you know, and we're going to come on to actually business review and how you do this. Um, but I think, you know, focusing on 
where the gaps are in a landlord's knowledge gives you the value you can bring. And too often, I think we we assume that everybody knows what the what what the job is. Everyone knows what we're doing. Um, I'm still a big advocate of giving the <laughs> the landlord a rundown, not talking line by line, of everything you do as an agent for them. Because I think it's really I think it's really easy to forget all the stuff that you do as letting agents. And you know, in in a world where legislation is ever changing, there's more and more things to meet. There's more demand from tenant. You know, having a professional um, mediator, frankly, in the middle of that, who knows the rules, who knows the legislation, I think is is absolutely vital. Um, moving that on a step, the the role of an agent uh, on behalf of a landlord is often to review the rent. Um, this is a process that has um, has existed for, for some time. There is more reform coming down the tracks as per as per the white paper. Um, however, that reform, as I see it, is essentially leaning on the existing mechanisms we have there but they're just not followed so um my understanding here greg is that section 13 will be enforceable um that goes back to 1988 housing act so it's been here for some time i think but very rarely is this actually action so the reform bill i think is now directing that if in order to review and increase the rent you must go through that process do you want to talk us through what that's going to look like yeah, and I, I think this is actually quite exciting because it's the biggest uh, change as a result of this um, proposal. Um, currently, a landlord proposes a rent increase. If the tenant isn't happy with it, yes, they can challenge it through the tribunal, but uh, in, in, uh, it is most likely that uh, the tenancy will just simply be ended through Section 21 notice. If you don't like um, the new terms, you don't have to accept them. Please feel free to find yourself a different property. Mm. Um, and, and I think that that... It, that part was felt as if the landlord had an unfair advantage over tenants. Um, and, and in my experience, that was never abused with clients that we have. However, I have heard some um, some stories. So um, Section 13 is essentially a process where you give a tenant um, one month's notice of a proposed rent increase. Um, it should be in line with the market conditions. If they're not, the tenant can challenge it. As you quite rightly said, it's very rarely formally um, processed in that manner. Going forward, if all tenancies are periodic, um, you will be able to review the rent once a year, uh, sorry, increase the rent once a year. Um, and this is where agents will be able to add most value. A, um, a third party can negotiate uh, without uh, the impact of emotional attachment I think that is very important, being able to negotiate the uh, best deal for both parties, a fair deal. Um, I also think that um, agents who are prominent in their areas will have access to um, comparable evidence like nobody else. So in sales, you've got land registry. In lettings, that equivalent does not exist. So if a surveyor uh, was doing a mortgage valuation uh, to assess how much a property is worth, um, then they'd be able to. Uh, look at transactional data, which is recorded in the land registry database, and say, well, please explain how this property uh, is, is so much more expensive than everything else. Um, I, I don't think that that price is right. And, and, and there's a mechanism there. In lettings, uh, most agents have, in their lifetimes have received calls from surveyors saying, look, can you help me out? Because we can't find any comparable evidence <laughs> yeah. on, on this rental figure. How, how have you come up with that? Or how have they come up with that? Now, if you are prominent in your area and you are dealing with uh, hundreds, if not thousands of lets, um, then you will be able to tap in and say, look, we've just let this property on your road. It's very, very similar. Um, it, it, it's it's in a similar condition, similar distance to the tube station. Um, it's a similar size and same number of bedrooms. Um, this is how much it achieved. Uh, then that is the evidence that will be required to argue that the rent increase is fair with a first tier tribunal. And the better record keeping, the better comparable evidence and the format in which that is submitted to the tenant throughout the journey. Because what you want to avoid is you want to avoid those rent increases going to the first tier tribunal. Mm. And and, and the, if you can put forward a better case, it reduces the chances of it going to that first tier tribunal. Uh, one of the changes is that currently first tier tribunals can award a rent increase higher than the landlord actually proposes initially if the market rate is above that. So let's say um, you, you're paying a thousand pounds a month. Uh, your landlord proposes an increase of 50 pounds uh, for the rent to go to 1,050. Um, following the first tier tribunal review, um, it transpires that comparable evidence 
uh, justifies a rent increase of 1,400, so 350 pounds more than what the landlord proposed. And the tenant can be made to pay that. Mm. Um, that will change from what I understand. So uh, yeah. the landlord will only be able to get a rent increase in line with what they argued um, and as just at the time, yeah. And, and the point you made around the comparison to the the, the sales process actually is just just took me off to something. There is plenty more change above and beyond the rent and reform bill in the pipeline, isn't there? Um, the one, the most exciting piece for me, uh, which will sound extremely boring and monotonous, um, is unique property reference numbers. Yeah. Because the ability to recognize a fingerprint of a property and then the ability to then associate all the meaningful stuff around that property and track that data and show all these different um, elements in terms of value, rental value, um, insurance claims, um, the property MOT, um, logbook being held against that uh, UPRN. So, you know, I know and and indeed we we are contributing to the focus on the rent reform bill. That's what the series is. But there is... I think the way that tech and the way the sector is looking at change is actually really quite exciting. And whilst, you know, we can we can debate what's good and bad about this bill, ultimately, again, there's a due proper process that to go through. and We're not through that yet. But I think the sector will look in a lot better state in 10 years um, than it has in the last 20. Frankly, there seems to be a bit of pace behind change, which I think is is broadly positive. Um, but definitely, guys, look out for, for URPNs and look out for, for suppliers and everybody else looking to adopt those as early as possible. Um, we've already sort of taken that into our system and, and created our own to then substitute with the uh, with the European as and when it comes into force across the board, because I think that's going to be a major game changer in terms of recognising properties and then the history of those. Um, so, so thank you for coming around for views. We've we've kind of covered the transient nature of tenants or the lack of. We don't believe actually, whilst there will be some cases that will will, will probably be shouted about quite loudly. We don't believe that tenants become wildly more transient than they are at the moment, yeah. and it turns into into Airbnb. Um, uh, as it were, um, and we've covered as well the fact that that, that there is um, a an increase on agent value here. Uh, we think because the change is substantial, um, the the need to follow that change is absolute. It will be the law, um, and that should empower agents who are able to educate and communicate effectively in a more meaningful way when speaking to landlords. Um, and the balancing act there, of course, is that you know we have a fear that it's driving landlords out of the sector. And I see lots of commentary around we're going to lose landlords. I completely understand that. I also understand there's a barrier to entry from a buy-to-let perspective. I think 4,700 deals available cut down to 900 deals available on the open market for buy-to-let mortgages in, in, in the recent months gone past. So there are these challenges. But I, 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 would, I would hasten to, to, to add, very rarely are these properties being sold back into the open market. Um, you know, if, if a landlord is selling a property, it needs to go somewhere. And the assumption that then disappears off the rental with the PRS completely, I think, is is probably the wrong assumption. Um, I do expect to see more consolidation of landlords and more properties under, you know, larger landlords. I, I do I do think that, but um I, I would be I would be careful not to scare monger too much around. I think and you agreed on this, Greg, too much around landlord exodus. Um, because you know, ultimately that would be a pretty hard thing to actually achieve in reality. Uh, well, I, I think it's a real risk. Uh, however, I agree with you that uh, we, we shouldn't overplay it. Uh, only in terms of that, th- for those landlords who can ride this out, um, sort of pardon the term, but they will reap the rewards because the, all these barriers to entry that we're seeing um, are creating a market which is underpinned where rent has to stay above a certain level um, mm. because there's just limited supply. And I can't, and, and unless we start building at the rate we've never built before, um, I mean, just, just look at the figures over the last yeah. sort of few years, um, we've seen um, the population of the UK grow by in excess of 4 million. Um, and uh, the, the house building uh, hasn't even touched the size of that. So um, we, the, the gap between supply and demand is widening. And I think it's very important to um, I- ensure that we're not encouraging landlords to leave without um, that um, sector being filled by other um, entries and other investors. Um, because failing this, rents will become unaffordable and uh, it's going to create a real big problem for, for the government. So. Whilst I don't think we should overplay the impact of landlords exiting, um, we need to consider that that is a possibility, or certainly the government should consider this is a possibility. From an agent perspective, all we have to do is deliver value. 
And I think nothing really changes um, from that perspective over the last, um, well, since really the Office of Fair Trading and um, the Foxons case, uh, which everybody's familiar about, and I think that was back in 2009, um, agents had to demonstrate their value in order to charge fees. Now, we are doing more and more to support landlords. The mm. sector is becoming more and more professionalized. Um, I think every person working in the industry needs to take responsibility and improve their knowledge, uh, attend courses, attend webinars, read up on various different acts and take a proactive interest because we are supposed to be the experts. Many are experts, but those who pretend to be don't have any place in the, the, the future of the lettings industry. Um, I think we need to take this very, very seriously. We are providing an essential service. I think mm. that was recognized um, throughout the pandemic. We've uh, supported many tenants and landlords um, and um, well, underpinned the economy to a very large extent. Indeed. Um, and and sorry to cut off there, I'm conscious of time. We just have a few more questions that I want to cover sure. because one of these has come up a, a couple of times actually, and it's pertinent to the um, the student part of our of our sector. Um, now, the um, the understanding in terms of the periodic tenancy piece that I have was that unless the property was purpose built to be a student residence, then actually this would fall into the proposed reform. Um, I'm also aware that there looks like there could be movement there. I know the NRLA have come out and suggested that there, there is going to be movement there. Um, and essentially meaning that if the property would be registered as a student property, therefore it wouldn't fall into this legislation, which is clearly problem problematic for students because this would just completely change the way that that process works. Um, any any further insight on that, on that at all? Um, I prefer not to comment simply because uh, it is so complicated. Um, student uh, halls are treated in a completely different way uh, under mm. most um, legislation. So, for example, selective licensing that's coming in certain boroughs uh, exclude student halls uh, specifically. Um, that there is um, uh, th there, there is a different regime for the right to rent checks uh, for uh, tenants moving into student halls, and I I, I think it. it it's so complicated that it's it's a whole different webinar. Uh, I don't think I, 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 I fear I fear it, I fear it probably is. Um, uh, keep, keep your eyes out. I think we, we had a couple of questions on that. Um, I think the last one coming in from um, Stephen, and Stephen also adds uh, many thanks and keep up the good work. Thank you very much, Stephen. Um, and we'll we'll loop back and uh, indeed I think to Greg's point, uh, once we've got some further clarity from the change through this call of evidence piece we'll, we'll more than likely do a piece on students solely actually um which looks like a couple of you would be interested in um we have a few other questions that i just wanted to box off very quickly um uh robert asks can you take out rent protection once tenancy has started you can indeed robert we can support you with that if need be um there's certain criteria that need to be met um and implications doing so but we can talk you through those and explain exactly how that would work um We've got a uh, another question from Carly. Carly, is there a playback option? Um, I presume that means you, you, you've already left. Um, there is Carly. Um, I didn't miss a question, so hopefully you're listening to this in the future. Um, and uh, I've confirmed that you're, you can indeed do that. Um, and we've got one more, I think, I wanted to cover apologies. I'm having to go through the screen a different way following the, the, the tech issues earlier. Um, well, whilst you're doing that, I just wanted to indeed. add something. The, the value that agents can add um, in context of um, rent protection, which is which is becoming more and more pertinent as uh, as time progresses and the cost of living crisis starts to bite even more. Um, most uh, rent protection policies uh, require uh, periodic inspections, um, rent schedules, and the way to put a claim forward can be um, a little bit complicated if you've never done it before. Um, so I think this is another uh, area where agents can add uh, significant value to their clients. Mm, indeed, um, very, uh, very much agree. Um, I, I, I've now lost all questions. So the tech problems started the minute we started <laughs> and they're carrying on until the end uh, when we finish. Greg, thank you so much for your time. I really hope that's been useful. The feedback on the chat is is, is very positive. Uh, and thank you for your, for, for your time. So I will I will agree uh, indeed and say thank you, Greg. Um, if anybody has um, any further questions, would like to have a chat with either myself, Greg, or indeed anybody uh, within the organisation, I'm sure we're, we're more than happy to do so. Um, like I say, Greg wears two hats, both his Martin Jarrod hat and his Property Mark hat. Um, so feel free to reach out to, to either of us if you have any questions. Um, but for today, um, Greg, thank you. And to everybody else joining in, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Cheers now. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah.